Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Well, it feels good. Uh, you know, it's preparation is a big part of this game. You know, you, you got to spend time together, I think. But um, we're, we're fortunate that we had almost 100% turnout. And uh, we, we, we got better each day. We did a lot of strategic things to focus on every day, and we got better. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. And the, the closing message is uh, going to be personal. You know, we don't talk about the things we say in team meetings, but uh, the expectations are rising now. You know, we, we proved that we can compete in the AFC West. You know, we proved we can win on the road. And now we've got to prove we can uh, win at a much higher level. And uh, we got a great schedule. We've got a very difficult st- schedule open this season. So be smart with your time and, and uh, continue to train like a champion. We got better. Expectations are rising. That's the words of Raiders head coach John Gruden. Last week, um, on the last day of minicamp, on the last day of uh, what was a well-attended, well-executed uh, off-season program in which the Raiders believe they got better over those two months and back it up the two months before that through the draft and free agency. The Raiders believe that they got better in personnel. They feel like they got better on the defensive side of the ball with some new additions, with a new coaching staff led by Gus Bradley, Ron Milas, Richard Smith, Rod Marinelli coming back on the defensive line. We've talked about it quite a bit, uh, the change and the effect that that particular coaching staff could have on a defense that has legitimately been what's held the Raiders back the last couple of years. But as John Gruden said, to quote him, we got better. Every day got better. My vantage point, from what I saw, I tend to agree with him. How much is the key? But interestingly, there's, you know, this time of year, numbers come out, betting lines come out, over-unders come out. Uh, One of the more popular bets is the over-under on win totals for NFL teams. And depending on who you go with, uh, and I'm not a gambler, so I don't know exactly how that works, but I think there's various betting sites uh, that you use, and each betting site uh, has a different win total um, that they believe each team is right at. And as a better, it's your decision to bet the over or the under. Uh, And obviously, if... The team, if you're betting the over and the team that you're betting on wins more games than what the uh, predicted win total is, you win. Vice versa, if uh, you bet the under. You lose if you bet the over and they finish lower than the number and vice versa. You can figure it out. But here's my question. And by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a bit of a rainy Thursday here in Las Vegas. You'd love to see it. We needed it. Uh, a nice little break in the action uh, brought some coolness, um, but, but obviously uh, some much-needed water uh, to the region. So uh, kind of a cool day with the thunder and the lightning and the 
gray skies and clouds. Uh, I always appreciate a nice little change of direction, change of pace uh, in the weather. But here's my thing. All right, so John Gruden thinks that the Raiders got better. I think everybody in the building in Henderson thinks that they got better. Um, I think on paper, the offseason that they had, which made a lot of sense when you're talking about addressing the defensive line, Yannick Ngakwe, Solomon Thomas, Quinton Jefferson, um, Darius Phylon, drafting Malcolm Kuntz, uh, Max Crosby looks uh, to be in tremendous shape. Clee Farrell, I think, is on his way to being a very, very good football player in the NFL. Uh, they bring in Casey Hayward, uh, the veteran cornerback. They, tra- they draft Trayvon Morig, uh, who had a first-round grade uh, based on pretty much anybody you, you, you talk to. Um, fell into the second round because of a, uh, a little back injury that he had uh, at his pro day. So they got better, apparently, it looks like, on paper anyway, uh, there. Um, I think there's a lot of belief that Corey Littleton is going to settle down and be more of the player that he was with the Los Angeles Rams than he was last year. Gus Bradley, the coach, is going to have a big impact on that defense. It uh, doesn't have to be a drastic turnaround. But, you know, um, I think that there's absolute expectations that this Raiders defense is not only going to improve, but it's going to be something, a unit, I should say, uh, that uh, this club can rely on, the offense can rely on. I think the offense has a chance, and we've talked about this, uh, to be more versatile, maybe more efficient, uh, perhaps more, even more explosive uh, if Henry Ruggs takes that next step forward as hoped for uh, in the Raiders building. And But saying all that, Getting back to those over under totals, it, depending on you know who you who who your guy is or who your site is, um, I guess that's the correct way to put it. The Raiders are sitting anywhere between seven, seven point five, and eight wins. That's the predicted total. That's I shouldn't say that's the predicted total, but that's that's where um, you know uh, the wise guys, as I like to call them, have have pegged the Raiders now. Um, they're tempting fans or betters one way or another to bet the over or the under. Me personally, and I'm not a gambler, but I think that number is a little bit low. I'm not quite sure you know, what they based it on in terms of how they came up with it. Um, maybe it was a schedule. Maybe they don't believe that the Raiders got better. Because uh, remember, they won eight games last year in a 16-game schedule. So um, do they think that they're just going to be basically the same team that they were last year? I don't see that. Um, but that's how they're looking at it. What do you guys think? And I want your call. 702-365-9200. Are the Raiders getting disrespected here? Are the Raiders getting a little bit overlooked here? Uh, is there some skepticism? Maybe rightfully so based on um, you know the second halves uh, that they've had the last two years where they went from 6-4 and four in 2019 and 6-3 and in uh, uh, 2020 uh, to 7-9 two years ago and then eight and eight last year. Um, maybe that's kind of where, or, or, or that's sort of this, where the skepticism is coming from uh, in regards to where the Raiders slot here uh, on that predicted win total. For me, frankly, I think it's too low. Um, if I were a betting man, uh, I would look really, really hard uh, at the over uh, on, on, on the Raiders' uh, win total. But that's just me. I'm not telling you guys what to do whatsoever. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line immediately because Joe is in L.A. Uh, and wants to talk about the Raiders and presumably wants to talk about that over-under. How you doing, Joe? Good. Thank you. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I had a couple things, but the main thing with the over and under, 
notoriously, you know this as well as I do, is that the Raiders have always been disrespected, have always been disrespected for whatever reason or not. You know, I think a lot of it, to be honest with you, has to do with jealousy. They know that their fans are loyal to the core. They know that they just can't beat that Raider reputation and that love that overall we all have for fans. But one interesting thing, if you really think about it, if you ever watched that 30 for 30 in the ESPN with Al Davis and the Raiders and the complexities of Oakland, Los Angeles, and vice versa, you see how this Raider um, disrespect has come along since Al Davis, the rebel, decided to go against the grain and challenge the authorities that be. And I think there's something that was ingrained from that point on that led to what we see now. Um, and another quick topic, if I can, it, you can touch this if you want. You know, I, I congratulated Carl Nassau with you the other day. I was just curious why a lot of, in my impression, you know better than I because you spoke to other players uh, regarding this, is that they personally reached out to him, but why wasn't there a congratulatory uh, response on Twitter? Because these players seem to tweet out everything in their lives, and maybe this is nothing. But I thought that would have been good to see on Twitter as well, because some of the players reached out that always oh, spoke to him privately, which is probably the best thing to do. But I was wondering, what do you think the optics of that are when none of them said anything that I saw? I could be wrong on Twitter or their social media platforms? Yeah, um, you know, I, I've, I had a chance to talk to some players and it was just uh, nothing but um, support uh, for Carl Nassib. Uh, but I don't think that, that, a lot, that a whole bunch of guys wanted to... Um, I don't think they felt... And everybody handles this a little bit differently. Um, you know, uh, I think they... I think I think it, it sounds like to me like um, there was not some forewarning, but I think that players were made aware and maybe some players knew for a while now, you know? Um, and so I think the, 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 the support that was expressed to me, um, was, I'm sure I can guarantee you was also expressed in, in, um, in private, uh, to call massive, you know, when I got the text from Derek Carr, um, it was made clear that he first called, you know, uh, Carl Nassib, uh, expressed his support and love for Carl Nassib in a private phone call, and then came out with the statement, um, you know, uh, in uh, or, or expressing his support for him publicly. Uh, but I don't, you know, it's it's. I don't know if I necessarily would. I, I don't know where, you know, um, and, and not. I, in my mind, I think it's way more powerful to just go ahead and, and, and call him. He's your friend. You know, it's not something that necessarily has to be out there uh, in public. And I, and I can also say this. Um, I'm sure I can guarantee you that this question is going to be asked to a lot of these guys um, moving forward in training camp during the season um, as we get more and more access to players. And I'm sure that's going to be a, uh, a big topic of discussion and and i think you'll see guys uh, on camera you know expressing uh, their support but 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 for now i think it's totally fine uh if 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 uh, guys have decided to do it privately um you know to carl nassib whether it's to his face or through text or a phone call or or, or facetime whatever whatever the case might be uh but i know you know kind of knowing the temperature uh in that in that raiders building and uh on that team uh 
it's nothing but support uh, for for um, for Carl Nassim. So I wouldn't read too much uh, into that. And maybe as time goes on, you'll see more guys uh, kind of uh, you know come out uh, with with more support. But you know, also um, Joe, I wonder if you know. We're in a time where, especially with this younger generation, it's not that big of a deal for them. You know, I spoke about this yesterday, how, you know, my, my kids, and, you know, they're 16 and 14 years old, um, they've got, they've had classmates almost throughout their schooling so far, and they're both now in high school, um, you know, uh, so the classmates of theirs on TV shows, it's very prevalent, commercials, uh, social media, it's not you know, um, it's not as hidden, I guess, is the best way to put it, as it was maybe when I was, you know, uh, growing up, and maybe you were, were growing up. So for this generation of players, um, th these younger players, and this this is a very, very young Raiders team, I think that it's fairly common in their lives, whether it's somebody that they know, whether it's a classmate or a former classmate, friends, family members, co-workers, um, you know, whatever the case might be. So, and this is a good thing to me. So I think that that's why it's like, okay, you know, you know, I'm sure a lot of the players probably knew anyway. Um, and so it's like, okay, you know, he let it out. He, he put it out there. Uh, that's great. He already knows that I got his back. I've told him that many times. So I think that that's where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's it, for some players, it's best, uh, you know, left. And also, I mean, I'd have to go through every player's um, Instagram and all that, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't have any kind of a running tally on, on how many players have come out, whether it's on Twitter or um, you know in any sort of form of, of social media. Plus, there's another thing to it. I, it's the social media. It can get pretty vicious out there, man. I yesterday. I retweeted a tweet about LeBron James and uh, the school he started um, back in, I think it was 10 years ago. It was an elementary school in Akron, Ohio, or it was a, not an elementary school. It was a primary and secondary school in, in, in Akron, Ohio that, uh, that, that LeBron started. And the first graduating class um, of that school that started you know, from the very beginning, every one of those students, I think it was 163 uh, students, um, are being, you know, uh, they've got scholarships to Akron University in Ohio, and there was one other university, I forget which one it was, through his foundation and help that he's been able to receive that all the grad, the whole graduating class um, from that first class is now getting their college tuition paid for. And to me, that's a spectacular gesture on the part of LeBron James. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And I retweeted it, and you would, if you if you look at some of the comments, there was negativity on some of those comments. It's like, what about China, Benny? What about China? What, yeah, that that <laughs> his hometown uh, and his home state, and tries to um, you know uh, do something for education in that state. Is that is he is that not allowed? <laughs> he can't do that. Um, so anyway maybe that has a little bit to do with it because even if the it's like even the nicest gestures that are expressed on social media there's always going to be a handful of people if not more and in lebron's case you know he's got a kabillion followers i'm sure that there's somebody that's always going to say something negative and who wants all that right who 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 needs all that but um I would suspect that players have have um, spoken to Carl Nassib 
privately uh, and express their support for him uh, in that um, in that realm, and don't feel like they gotta be go out on on social media to to express uh, anymore. Uh, but getting back to you know the, this predicted win total, it's interesting because I'm looking at. Um, what the uh, what the win totals in the NBA were coming into uh, last season. Um, just to give you an idea of this is obviously not the gospel. <laughs> no matter what that line says, and right now it looks like it fluctuates anywhere between seven, seven point five, and eight wins for the for the Raiders. Well, the Phoenix Suns coming into this year were. Uh, their their win total was predicted to be thirty eight point five. I think they won fifty one games uh, this year. So, um, you know, just just keep in mind that just because it you know that's the number doesn't mean that that's gospel. And I think the Warriors, or excuse me, the uh, the, the Phoenix Suns blew through that whole thing. Um, and there were a couple other teams. Some have done better. Some have done worse. I think the Atlanta Hawks uh, were much better. They they were thirty six point five. I think they had. 40 some odd wins uh, and look at them now they're in the western or the eastern conference uh, finals so uh, the new york knicks were 22.5 let me go see where the new york knicks uh, ended up finishing because i know they made the playoffs so um uh, the the knicks at 22.5 coming into the season and they finished with 41 wins so there you go i mean uh, some of this i have to believe is like just teasing you the better like, come on, how much confidence do you have on the, I mean, 7.5, eight, eight wins. If you go back these last couple of years, seven wins and eight wins uh, for the Raiders. Uh, are they, is it a sucker bet? Are they kind of getting people to think, yeah, you know what, the Raiders, uh, that's probably kind of where they're going to finish. I'll bet the under and lose. They want, you know, they win when you lose. So, um you may, it makes me it makes me wonder you know how they kind of came up with it. But the long story short is I think the Raiders are better than seven point five wins. I think they're better than eight wins uh, this year. If I was operating in that world and I don't, um, I'd have to seriously consider the over. And I'm just trying to you know set aside our you know the the tease aspect of it and they're trying to win money aspect of it which obviously they're trying to do um and so they know what they're doing in that regard um but if the real belief is that the raiders are uh, a 7.58 win team why what's the what's the thinking behind that and you know I, I'm, I'm putting it out to uh to the fans uh, give me a call 702-365-9200 uh because i think that that's i wouldn't say disrespect i hate that word um i understand though where joe's uh, coming from absolutely when you're a raider fan you kind of feel like that for a while um i've i have said this about the raiders it's 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 time for them to change that narrative um even though if they go on a long winning streak, they're still always going to have the haters because that's the kind of organization that the Raiders are. Uh, they're a love them or hate them kind of, rela- uh, uh, of, of, a, of a franchise, and that's great. I mean, that's kind of how you want it to be. Um, whether you're the New York Yankees, uh, whether you're the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, the love is like... A devotion like you don't even you can't even explain right but the hate is is just as uh, intense it might not be as many um but uh it's it's as passionate that that hate and i mean i was talking on twitter to some people yesterday because you know the 
in baseball, the Padres have won seven of eight, I think, against the Dodgers, and and you know, Padres fans are trying to make it out as they're mad because the Dodgers won't acknowledge the Padres as a rivalry, and they're not a rivalry. There's nothing about the Padres that's a rivalry to the Dodgers. The Dodgers have owned the Padres for the last fifty years. You have to do something in order, on your part, to make it a rivalry. And there's no hate for the Padres from the Dodgers or Dodger fans. There's kind of indifference, like okay, you're the Padres, whereas the Padres fans hate the Dodgers. Dodger fans hate San Francisco Giants fans and the and and their team. Why? Because they've gone through battle after battle after battle. Both teams have taken something of importance away from each other. That's never happened with the Padres. That's my point. Is there's really when you think about it, pretty much indifference to the Padres. Is there indifference to the Raiders? No way. There's either love or there's hate. And that's usually a good thing. It shows you that you've probably been pretty prominent, probably taken something from somebody that they want uh, and and you probably rub their nose in it a little bit and, and urkled their feelings. Uh, and that's where that hate comes from. But that's a good thing. It's respect more than anything else. Now the Raiders need to turn some of that hate into uh, more of the respect uh, level. And that's on them. And they know that you're in the huddle with Vinny Monster brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. First off, the biggest thing is the man. Um, Coach Bradley is a guy who's going to talk to you about your vision for your life. When you sit down and meet with him, he's going to talk to you about um, trust, respect. Because um, in this league, we know a lot of things dealing with business can kind of take out the aspect of loyalty, being a good person. Um, so I think the biggest thing with Coach Bradley, I love, first of all, he's a good dude. You know what I mean? I think that that makes you want to play for a guy, you know, even more. Cleveland Farrell, uh, the Raiders defensive end, talking about his early impressions uh, of new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley. And um, by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Boston. You're brought to you by Tequila Embajador on a Thursday here, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Uh, And what Clee was talking about, uh, the relationship, um, how Gus Bradley... Uh, wants to get you know, get to know you as a person, um, you know, even more so than a player, um, and talking about things outside of football. It's relationship building, and it was fairly universal talking to other players, um, you know, uh, uh, that we had access to during OTAs and, and minicamp. That that was their feeling about Gus Bradley. That was their impressions of Gus Bradley. And keep in mind, um, what's what's interesting uh, also is that two players, key players really, came to the Raiders this year, this offseason. Unique Ngakwe, Casey Hayward. Two guys that I think are going to end up starters. Two guys that I think are going to end up being big parts of this defense. You know what the common denominator is there? They both played for Gus Bradley. And they both came to the Raiders I wouldn't say exclusively because of Gus Bradley, but it played a role. I can't sit here and say uh, that Unique would be here or Casey would be here if not for the presence of, of Gus Bradley. All we do know is that they did show up after he showed up. Isn't that interesting to you? Two of the best players on this defense right now not only played for Gus Bradley, and it's great that they know the system and they have that background, but they thought highly enough of him 
to want to come play for him again. And with Casey Hayward, you also had to throw Ron Miles in there too, uh, the, the cornerbacks coach or the secondary coach. That tells you something, you know, I, it's, it's not everybody gets along uh, in the NFL. Not everyone has great relationships um, with their coworkers, with their coaching staff. Sometimes it's a personality complex. Sometimes it's just a lack of respect. Sometimes it's, I don't think you know what you're doing, <laughs> a competency um, uh, uh, issue. Um, sometimes it's just how you perceive that people, that, that person treating you or others. There's a lot of ways for relationships at this level in life in general, let's face it, to go sideways. Don't you think it's important that two of the best players on this defense, the, the two arguably defensively anyway, the two biggest players that the Raiders uh, or best players in the, that the Raiders were able to get in the fold uh, as, as free agents this year are former pupils of Gus Bradley. And both of them have great things to say uh, about uh, Coach Bradley and in Casey's uh, um, case, Ron Miles as well. So, um, you know, I think that stands for something. There's a great article that I wrote today where you get to the caller uh, line in just one second. There's a great article uh, I read today in The Athletic, um, and kudos to Joe Smith, the writer. Uh, he talked to Nick Saban. He talked to Bruce Arians. He talks to Joe Madden, uh, the Angels uh, uh, um, manager, who has also obviously won a World Series in Chicago with the Cubs and went to a World Series with Tampa Bay Rays. Um, he, he, uh, Steve Kerr goes without saying but the whole article was about relationship building and culture and what great leaders can do to foster that amongst their players and i was uh, as i was reading this i was thinking about all the things that i've heard about gus bradley um from uh some of his new players and also some of his older players like unique and gawkway or former players like unique and gawkway and casey hayward uh and i think it's really really important and we're going to continue to talk about it today in that i think the x's and o's parts that's going to take care of itself um by all accounts gus bradley has a great system um he has a great messaging he knows how to teach he knows how to communicate um, as do his assistant coaches. I think that synergy is going to be extremely important. I don't think that synergy existed last year under that staff. For whatever reason, not trying to point any fingers, but there was a breakdown. And you could tell because that breakdown occurred on the field over and over again, especially in key moments, third downs, <laughs> where the Raiders couldn't get teams off the field late in games. Uh, there was confusion. There was miscommunication. Guys weren't connected. Guys weren't on the same page. To me, Obviously, uh, the players hold the final, um, uh, you know, uh, part of the responsibility. But I think something was breaking down long before it happened uh, on the field. Uh, I truly do. I don't expect that to be the case this year um, for a lot of different reasons, but mainly because I think the messaging, communication, teaching, understanding, respect is going to be much, much better between the coaching staff and the players. We're going to get into that uh, a little bit more. But before we do, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line, or excuse me, uh, listener line. Uh, Rosie uh, is in Australia. Uh, that's beautiful. Thank you very, very much for calling uh, from Australia and wants to talk about Gus Bradley. How are you doing, Rosie? It's uh, Rossi. Yeah, uh, I'm good. Um, I really love what you're saying about that relationship building. But my question to you uh, with that is, if we bring in somebody like uh, Ingram and Sherman that have that relationship as well, 
uh, during training camp, do you see that those two players uh, get into the final 53-man squad? Um, I, I, I love what I'm hearing about Bradley. Uh, certainly a lot better than uh, a relationship manager than uh, Gunther ever was. Uh, and that uh, is what you just said, is, is starting to even just trickle down into simple things like OTAs. So I'd, I'd just be really interested in, in knowing your opinion of bringing in a couple of other Bradley disciples, for, for want of a better word, and uh, whether they actually make the final cut. Yeah, interesting question, and I appreciate the call, uh, Rosie, all the way from Australia. I uh, have always wanted to uh, to go there. Maybe one day I'll, I'll get out there. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I don't know um, if those ships have sailed. Uh, I do know that, you know, you can obviously uh, envision both of those players uh, being on this roster. Um, I think that the Casey Hayward signing probably um, aces out the possibility of Richard Sherman. And I think a couple of things in, in regards to Melvin Ingram, uh, I think, you know, number one, going to get unique and Gagway. I know it's a different um, type of a player, but I think that that probably, um, you know, uh, negates that. But also maybe even more than that, I think it was the drafting of Malcolm Kuntz. I think that, um, the Raiders like what they've seen so far uh, from the kid from Buffalo. And in a lot of ways, there's some similarities. You know, uh, I don't think that he plays the run as well as Melvin Ingram did earlier in his career. But I think some of the there's some similarities in terms of the pass rush ability. Uh, and I think that, you know, the way the Raiders are looking at it, um, you know, they're pretty set with their starters, right? They've, no matter how you want to formulate it, you know, let's just say it's going to be Ngakwe, uh, Quentin Jefferson, Jonathan Hankins, uh, uh, Clee Farrell as a starting four. And then behind them, Max Crosby, uh, Solomon Thomas, um, Darius Phylon, and, uh, and, and, and Carl Nassib. That would be the next four. Uh, and Malcolm Kuntz in there um, somehow, some way, um, you know, on a, in, a, in pass rush, uh, as a pass rush kind of a specialist. So when you start thinking about Melvin Ingram, where does he fit right there? You know, I don't know if there's necessarily uh, a, a fit right there, but we'll see. You know, and I think that training camp uh, or, or, or these next few weeks before training camp, that was what the beauty of having OTAs was about, was the Raiders were really able to get a look at that roster. They didn't get that chance last year, and I think it kind of bit them on the butt a little bit uh, as they segued into training camp and then the regular season. They just didn't have um, a lot of time with this roster. And, and remember, this gets completely lost in the equation because COVID-19 cast such an unbelievable shadow over last year. The Raiders were moving. <laughs> they moved. They literally moved their franchise from Oakland to Las Vegas. So uh, little things like just moving out here and getting settled into the new uh, environment, a new city, a new market, in the middle of a pandemic, by the way, not having the building available to them, um, what, shortly, like, end of March, I guess it would have been, um, in Alameda, and then the new facility wasn't ready yet, plus it was everything was closed off because of, uh, of what was going on with the virus. So it was such a strange offseason last year, and there was no way to get a real good look at these guys until training camp. And then at that point, 
everything was ramped up. Um, you know, it was on speed dial basically, especially after that ramp up period and that conditioning period, uh, which were like condensed versions of OTAs. And all of a sudden, um, you know, it was hit the ground running. This is what you got. This is what you're going to roll with. Whereas this year, it's a much more measured approach and every step um, was taken advantage of. So now I would imagine the Raiders are probably scouring through the tape of those um, OTA practices. Um, everything's on tape. Everything's filmed. Uh, they're, I'm sure they're keeping a keen eye on every position group and trying to decide, are we good at tackle? Are we good at guard? Are we good? Do we need to go make a move? You know, this is, these are the conversations that they're having over uh, at the building. And you saw some of that. You saw some tinkering with the roster um, during, you know, during the OTAs or at least toward the tail end of OTAs. Uh, they brought back Sam Young. Um, you know, they, uh, they there was some tinkering with that, that safety and a, and a cornerback brought in a couple of uh, new faces, got rid of some guys that, that they had gotten a look at during OTAs. So, I don't know. It just feels like things are fairly set right now. It feels like this is the roster that they're going to go into training camp with. Now, there could always be a surprise. There could always be, um, you know, somebody that hits the market today. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers released uh, their veteran guard, uh, DeCastro, David DeCastro, uh, really good quality player. Um, should the uh, uh, Raiders be interested? Well, um, number one, it looks like, sounds like, feels like uh, there's some injury uh, concerns uh, there with him, it's I read somewhere uh, just before coming on the air that it sounded like they released him for non-football uh, related injury, which means that he got hurt doing something outside of the uh, outside of the facility. Uh, I've also heard that there might be some contemplation on his part of retiring, so that might be just a moot point right there. But if he's healthy and he still wants to play football, heck yeah, I think that's a, that's a player that the Raiders um, should be interested in. So a move like that, a move along those lines, you know, could still, could still happen because you're never a finished product. It's always uh, a work uh, in progress, the Raiders uh, included. Um, but getting back to what we were talking about earlier and what we were talking about, you know, the, the impressions that um, Clee Farrell had uh, of um, – you know, uh, of, of Gus Bradley. I uh, want to also hear, this is uh, Unique Ngakwe, uh, when we talked to him last week about his um, uh, impressions of Gus Bradley. Remember, Gus Bradley was his first head coach uh, in Jacksonville, and here's Yannick Ngakwe coming back uh, to the Raiders to go play for Gus Bradley again, and here's Unique Ngakwe on Coach Bradley. Well, the thing that's uh, really uh, crazy to me is he's the same guy um, if not, he has way more energy. Uh, he always was a high-energy guy, a guy that's personable, a great coach. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in Jacksonville, we didn't do what we were supposed to do to keep him there. But um, over here, man, he's just putting us in great positions to go make plays and allowing us to be free. That's a guy that loves the game. He's bringing passion every day. No matter what's going on in his life, he's going to always have a smile on his face. Uh, with Gus Bradley, uh, and I, and I um, you know, was uh, was 
doing some texting with some people uh, about that. That was an impression that I had. I was like, wow, man, this dude, <laughs> you know, you can tell that players want to play for guys like that because it was, it was all enthusiasm. It was all passion. I think he, fans saw that, got a glimpse of that uh, in his Zoom talk with us um, last week. Um, he brings it. Uh, he has a lot in the, in the, in the tank, and um, that's expressed during practices it's all positivity it's all enthusiasm it's all passion it's all communication you know he would go from position group to position group uh kind of checking things out and offering encouragement and instruction um uh and and you know listen we talk about paul gunther and uh, and and all that you know so Paul Gunther had never been, to my knowledge, a defensive coordinator prior to taking over, um, you know, with the Raiders. I'll double check that. But I want to say that he was, um, wasn't he the linebacker coach, I think it was, before he got to the uh, to the Raiders. So it's a big responsibility going from, um, you know, uh, becoming the decision maker, becoming uh, the, the leader of one side of the football. And, you know, sometimes there's lessons to be learned on that. Sometimes it's not an easy transition. And not everybody's personality is the same. Paul Gunther seemed like a, uh, a, a good dude. Um, I had nothing but respect for him. And um, our, our dealings with each other were, were always, you know, professional and pleasant and, and all that. Um, but I think the clout that Gus Bradley brings and the approach that he brings um, is, is, is pretty obvious. And I'm always a guy that, you know, I look at who he's coached with, you know, nobody has more passion than like John Gruden is just, you know, you should, I wish everyone could hear him uh, on the practice field and some of the things that he's saying and how he brings it every single day, including during OTAs. When when I say it was hot out here during OTAs, it was bitterly hot, but you would have never known that watching John Gruden uh, operate and, and bringing it every day. But then also Pete Carroll, and that's who brought, and then Pete Carroll brought Gus Bradley to Seattle to be his defensive coordinator. No, actually, um, uh, uh, Gus Bradley was coaching under Jim Mora Jr., but when Pat, Pat or, or uh, Pete Carroll got to Seattle to replace Jim Mora Jr., he kept Gus Bradley. And that's not insignificant either. I have a huge amount of respect for, for Pete Carroll. I think he's one of the best to ever do it. And his personality and the way he brings it on a daily basis is second to none. And there's, so there's a common kind of a thread there. That's what Gus Bradley brings. It's what John Gruden brings. Um, and I think you're going to see that rub off on this defense. I'm not... I haven't been here long uh, with the Raiders. I don't know what it was like before Paul Gunther and, and what the energy level and the passion level and the uh, personality level and the enthusiasm level and the teaching level was from the defensive coordinators in the past. But I could say this without hesitation. Gus Bradley is one of the best to do it in that regard. And there's no way in my mind that it's not going to filter over uh, to his team and to his defense. And I think that's going to get reflected on the field. When we come back, we'll talk more about um, you know, relationship building, culture building, and how I think it's going to start happening on that defensive side of the ball. I feel like it's already happened uh, on the offensive side of the ball. I think John Gruden has, has done a good job in that regard. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Mahara. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Shh. 
shout out to my guy uh, Doby on Twitter at Doby five three eight two three six five nine for uh, pointing out to me on Twitter. Uh, Paul Gunther was a defensive coordinator. He was a defensive coordinator with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, took over um, in two thousand fourteen, I believe, when uh, Mike Zimmer, who was the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, uh, left to go coach uh, the Minnesota Vikings, become the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. So um, Gunther was definitely a defensive coordinator prior to coming uh, to the Raiders and um, looking at the stats, he has some pretty good defenses in Cincinnati. Now, some of that, especially the early success, Mike Zimmer was one of the best, is one of the best to do it. He's a, just a, de- he's really is a defensive genius. So I wonder if there was some, you know, uh, you, Paul Gunther taken over and a lot of that was the work that, you know, personnel wise and all that, that Paul Zimmer had helped uh, put together. Uh, but for whatever, and but no question about it, Paul Gunther had some good defenses uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, it just didn't translate here uh, with the Raiders. And what I saw last year, and it's, it's hard to point a finger at any one thing specifically. Uh, I won't do that. I don't believe that that's ever really the case anyway. Um, but I just believe, uh, and you know, talking to some some players and some people around players, uh, it just it, it wasn't working last year defensively. And the sense that I was getting, let alone what I saw on the football field, was that something wasn't resonating. Um, the message wasn't getting through. And to me, that's on teaching. It's on communication, um, and you know, it's, it's on you as the defensive leader or offensive leader also trusting your lieutenants and your lieutenants are your, are your uh, assistant coaches to be able to deliver that message to their position groups. Um, it goes, that's how the information flow flows. Uh, it's the defensive coordinator, um, what he wants to do. And, uh, he teaches that to the, to the position coaches and then they teach it to the, to their, to their players, uh, all culminating, you know, with the game itself and the defensive coordinators calling those plays. It just seemed like there was something, off with the synergy between Paul Gunther, his assistant coaches, and the players. Um, and, you know, let's face it, not to make, you know, excuses, but this is valid. This is this is uh, absolutely the case, and you can't ignore it. You can't dismiss it as, oh, it had nothing to do with anything, because I firmly believe it did. It was such a young defense last year, and there were so many new faces, seven new starters on last year's defense, that it was critical that they have a that they that they that they should have had um, ideally a regular off season, um, but they didn't because of circumstance. And I think that that le- was a legit reason. Partly, uh, majorly, I don't know how much how you want to classify it uh, for for the kind of defense that the Raiders played last year. It just never took hold, and there were a lot of reasons for that. And um, you know, in real time, and I've told you guys this so many times, in real time, there was an acknowledgement uh, within the Raiders building that something wasn't right. There were a lot of things that they needed to get fixed in time for this season. It was too late for last season. Like we've said, sometimes you just got to play the season with what you got and hope for the best. Coach around uh, the flaws and ex- try to accentuate um, you know, the, the, the strengths. But there was an acknowledgement, hey, there's work that needs to get done uh, next offseason being this offseason. But also, 
th not this time last year, I would say about 13 months ago when the Raiders were going through Zooms and that was it <laughs> with their players. Uh, the, the, what I kept hearing from the building was, man, <laughs> got a lot of young players that we're counting on on defense. This isn't good. And it wasn't like, oh, poor us. Oh, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, setting up the, the crutch, setting up uh, the, the, the excuses. It was legitimate. They, they legitimately knew instinctively having done this so many times before this is bad for a young group and a group that was implementing a whole bunch of new players because that's why you have off seasons <laughs> that helps expedite uh, all of those type of things and they didn't have that available but that's that that was last year moving on to this year i think um so far so good with what we're hearing from players about gus bradley about just my own observations, looking at that defense, um, you know, over the last month or two months or so, seeing the depth on the defensive line, seeing the various skill sets along the defensive line, seeing Yannick Ngagwe, who has a chance to be a difference maker on that defensive line, seeing what Casey Hayward brings, uh, the depth in that secondary now. Uh, the, you, you, when you start talking about safeties and you start talking about Chavon Morick, Carl Joseph, Jonathan Abram, uh, Tyree Gillespie, I mean, that has a chance to be a, a strength for the Raiders this year, uh, that, that four-man uh, group at safety. Uh, I think Trayvon Mullen has a chance to take another step forward. It's just there's a lot, you know, um, uh, uh, from Corey Littleton, Nick Wachowski, Nicholas Morrow. Um, I'm still a little concerned about the depth at linebacker. Um, it's hard to have a lot of confidence right now because Nobody's seen Tanner Muse play it down in the NFL. Nobody's seen Divine Diablo play it down in the NFL. Uh, uh, Javin White has played some snaps, but most of them were special team snaps last year. So are the Raiders comfortable? That would that would be an area that I would keep an eye on, especially with Divine Diablo dealing with something. Um, wondering if maybe they make a move at linebacker to, uh, to have a little bit of depth. Uh, but we'll see. Here's the question. 7.5 wins, 8 wins for the Raiders by the wise guys in, in, in Vegas. I think that's low. I think that's low, but what are your thoughts? Let me know. You're in the huddle with me, Monster, brought to you by Tequila and Monitor.